Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. How are we doing this morning, church? We happy to be in the house of God? Amen. That wasn't convincing. We happy to be in the house of God? There it is. There it is. Amen. It's always, I'm, I'm still, I'm still um, recuperating after that song, man. The, the love of God is, is so real. And, uh, you know, even if you, sometimes it feels like we don't, we don't feel it. Sometimes it feels like, uh, like, like, like our prayers go unanswered. Sometimes it feels like, you know, God has, has forgotten about us. But his word says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I, I love you. I sent my son to die for you. And so sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of that very simple fact. Amen. I'm closing this because this is not cooperating. Uh, can someone go to my uh, office and bring me my laptop, please? Thank you. And in the meantime... How's everybody doing? <laughs> Amen. Um, this morning, this feels weird. I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna hold this the whole time. This is the first time I'm, I'm not having like using a mic. Um, but if, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm gonna ask that you turn to the book of of Matthew, chapter 24. I'm sorry, Matthew 26. Sorry. Um, this morning. I wanted to look at the story, the tragic story of Judas. Judas was one of the 12 disciples. He was, he was in the inner circle of Jesus. Um, you probably know about Judas. People know about Judas even if they're not in the church because it's, he's an, it's a notorious name. He was the betrayer of Jesus. And, and Ju- Judas, you know, he was in the inner circle of Jesus and, and he even held an esteemed position within the group as, as the treasurer. He spent three years as a disciple of Jesus. And on the surface, it seemed that he went through the same process of growth and discipleship as all of the other apostles. He heard the same sermons. He, 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 he listened to the same parables. He witnessed the same miracles. And while the other 11 disciples, I don't believe that they were perfect, Judas was just on a whole other level of evil. And there's this quote that's been you probably heard it before. It's been circulating on, on social media for a couple years now. It says, Judas had the best pastor, the best leader, the best and wisest teacher, the best friend, and yet he failed. The problem isn't the leadership or the church you go to. If your attitude doesn't change or your character transform, you will always be the same. And I believe that the problem with Judas was was what that last line of the quote suggests. There was no transformation in the life of Judas. Just like you can go to the gym. How many of us go to the gym? You've been going to the gym forever. And you're like, where are my muscles at, you know? You can go to the gym and not have a, a, a transformed body. You can go to the church and not have a transformed spirit. You cannot be, you can go to the Bible studies and, and the groups and you can be in the circle without having been transformed. And one of my prayers every week as, as we, we, we bring in new people and new lives need to be touched and healed, uh, people who don't know Jesus, I, I pray, man, that they walk in with one perspective and they walk out with a whole new different one. 
Because if you walk out with the same perspective, nothing, nothing is changing. Nothing is changing. You're listening to a, uh, to a good sermon. You're experiencing a, a, a good atmosphere, but nothing is changing. Transformation is so important. And so I want to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. We're going to be reading from verse, uh, verses 14 through 20. <clears throat> and it says this. It says, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Let's go down to verse 20. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better if the man had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. I also want to read from John's account. You don't have to go there, but you can. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 13, beginning with verse 22. The same, same occasion, just a different perspective. John says, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give the morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped it, uh, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. And no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, my God, for this word that you've spoken to your servant, Father God. I pray, Father God, that, that I just may uh, be, be a, a messenger here this morning, Father God. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit preaches this to whoever needs to hear it this morning, my God, so that a transformation can occur. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I entitled the message this morning, Mind Power. And I just, I want to say, I should have said this in the beginning before I got into the sermon, but man, uh, last week's message by, by, by Michael, uh, beautiful, beautiful message, beautiful message. If you haven't listened to it, go back. You can listen to it uh, on the NUMA Church podcast. We, we have a podcast. All the messages are up there. Um, and uh, this morning, now, I, this is an awkward segue because I had nothing to do with this, but uh, the, the title of today's message is Mind Power. And I want to, I want to, obviously, I want to talk about the mind. I want to talk about, more importantly, the transformation of the mind. Because if the mind has not gone through the process of transforming, again, you can go through all the programs, you can go through the discipleship program, you can go through the new, uh, new believers class, you can be baptized, you can, you can come to church, you can hear the messages over and over, you can attend the, the conference and the women's conference that I know is going to be a blessing. But if your way of thinking still reflects a corrupt way of thinking, you're always going to be the same. The mind is so powerful. I don't know if you know how powerful it is. It is the most powerful force in our being. It's something that separates us from all of God's other creations. Being created in the image of God, we are given a mind that is so powerful. We have the ability to, to reason, and we have the ability to to, to, to act out from that reason, we have, we, it, it's powerful. It's a powerful thing. And it's important um, because Paul calls, Paul calls believers to possess the mind of Christ. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, possess the mind of Christ. And he describes the mind of Christ as being distinct from human wisdom. It, it is possessing the wisdom imparted by God. He says it is given to us by the spirit of God. He says the mind of Christ is not understood by those who are not in the spirit. Have you ever talked about something like in faith and people who are not in the faith are like, are you sure? You sure you're going to get that healing? You sure God's going to come through? They don't understand it, but you have the mind of Christ. Paul says that, that it gives us discernment, uh, being able to discern things that are not related to the spirit. That's what it means to possess the mind of Christ. And so Paul tells the Romans in, in chapter 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship, right? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he, tell, he doesn't just tell you the what, he tells you the how. This is how you do it, he says. By not being conformed to this world, but by being transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. Why is the mind so relevant? Why is it so, why, why does Paul tell the Philippians to think about things that are true, noble, right, pure, uh, uh, lovely, admirable, and ex- uh, excellent, praiseworthy? Why does he say, why does he, why does what we think about matter so much to our relationship with Christ? Why does Jesus say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Why does he say it? It's because the mind, listen to this, the mind has the power to override the intentions of your heart. The mind has the power to override the intentions of your heart. See, when the Bible talks about the heart and the mind, they're not, they're not the same thing. The heart and the mind are two di- uh, very different things. The way that the, that the Bible speaks about the heart is, is, is kind of terrible. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful. He says it is intent on doing evil. When the Bible speaks about the heart, it speaks a lot about our emotions, which we know our emotions can get the best of us sometimes. It's, it's, it's our, our evil intentions. And since we, uh, we are inherently evil and corrupt, our heart is inherently evil and corrupt. In the heart, we, we desire things that are of the flesh. From our heart, we act out in our emotions. From the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth. Jeremiah continues saying that the heart is desperately sick. And who can understand it? The Bible says nothing but terrible things about the condition of the heart. But there is hope for the heart when the mind is transformed. This is why so, it's so important what you think. And I know you all think. Y'all are thinking something right now. You're thinking about where you're going to go eat instead of listening to the sermon. What, what you think about is important. It's so important what you consume, right? It's important what you read. It's important whose advice you listen to. It's important who you follow on Instagram because they're an influencer and you want to be influenced by them. Does your mind conform to the world or has it been transformed by the spirit? Because that will dictate the condition of your heart. When you begin to adopt a Christ-like frame of mind, you begin to think differently. I don't know if you remember the way that you used to think before coming to Christ. But when you came to Christ, you you were given a whole new perspective. Your your, your mind was renewed. You You were transformed. The way that you the way that you think about people. 
Now you think about people the way that Christ thinks about people. At least we should. The way that you see, see the heart, the heart doesn't love your enemies. You don't love your enemies with your heart. In your heart, you want the worst for your enemies. Your heart rejoices when your enemy falls. Does it not? Your heart, your heart, it just, it desires, it wants to repay evil for evil. And so this is why Jesus, he says, he says, you have heard it said, repay evil for evil. You have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I tell you the truth. What he says there is an appeal to your mind. He's bypassing your heart. He's not talking to your feelings. I tell you the truth. The truth is irrelevant of how you feel. I tell you the truth. I know you have heard it said this way because this is how society feels and thinks about it. But I'm telling you something else. I'm telling you the truth. That is an appeal to your logic, to your reason, to your mind. You must love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. that's, That's not something that comes natural to the heart. Your mind has to convince your heart to become righteous. Let's do another one. The heart wants to be prideful. The heart wants to be jealous. But it's in the mind that you say, God doesn't like a spirit of jealousy. It's in the mind that you say, God doesn't like me to be prideful. It's in the mind where you say, Lord, help my heart in this moment because my mind recognizes its weakness. It's in the mind. Do one more. In the heart, you commit adultery. Oh, you got awkward. In the heart, you commit adultery. Your heart wants to lust after another person. But it's in the mind that you say, wait, God calls this adultery. Lord, help me in my weakness right now because my heart is again acting a fool. That's what the heart is. So Paul says, you want to live a life commendable and pleasing to God? You must first transform the way that you think, the thoughts that you have. Transformation. This is why transformation of mind is so important. And can I just tell you something? It needs to happen as soon as possible. Somebody say ASAP. ASAP. It has to happen as soon as possible. If, if, if you have yet to transform your mind to reflect the mind of Christ, you know, we fall down a, a dangerous te- territory because when we remain stuck in our ways of thinking for too long, we become hostile to other forms of thinking. I've heard stories from y'all, man. Some, some of us, I'll include myself, just to not make you feel bad. Uh, <laughs> some of us have some stubborn parents. I mean, these are innocent, innocent things, okay? But for the example of, of my message, sometimes you're having a, a, a conversation with your parents and there is no changing their mind. There's no change in their mind. They, they were raised to think a certain way. They were told that everyone else is wrong in the way that they think about things. You cannot change their mind. Now, now, now think about how serious this is. <laughs> think about how serious this is when it comes to something that's more profound and spiritual. That's when the heart begins to harden. See, see when God hardens hearts, it's because you've already made up your mind. You've become so stubborn in your mind to the point of no return. God gives you whatever the heart wants. This is what happened to Pharaoh. 
God didn't harden Pharaoh's mind just because he was being mean. I'm sorry, his heart. His heart was hardened because he had already made up his mind. He was was so hard-pressed about what he was going to do. God hardens his heart. There was no listening to reason. There was no listening to, to, to warnings. Moses came doing all the miracles that God had empowered him to do. There was no changing his mind, so his heart was hardened. And then Paul says uh, in Romans, speaking of, of the unrighteous, he says they, become, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God didn't make them do things that ought not to be done. He hardened their hearts because they hardened their minds. When your heart, your evil, corrupt heart has the power over your mind, you are going to lose because the heart is evil. It cannot do good. It is with the, the transformed mind that you have the power to, trans, uh, to, to tame the evil heart. Amen. I'll give you a relatable example. When Layla was born, your boy was big. I, I was weighing in at 240 pounds. A couple years, a couple years before that, I was at 195. So I, I gained, I gained a lot of weight, and and I, I still have the picture. My family has pictures. They send it to me every now and then, saying "dang." That's all they say. They just send me the picture, like "dang." No. <laughs> but not, but truthfully, I was, you know, I was not in the right headspace in that in that time, that period of my life. When it came to my diet and, and exercising, I was a new dad. I was trying to figure that out. I wasn't sleeping right. I wasn't sleeping at night. I would go through my day really tired. I would have no energy to go to the gym. And, and I, would just, I had no discipline. I would just eat whatever was there. How many of you know about that life? <laughs> you just eat whatever was there. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I want to eat right, but, you know, I'm, I made it to lunchtime without planning, right? So there's Whataburger, you know, that, that's, that's how it was. And then I remember one Sunday morning, one Sunday morning, I, trying to get dressed for church. I had nothing that fit me, <laughs> nothing. And I was, I was, I was having a little bit of a breakdown that Sunday. I was like, man, I'm sick of wearing these same big boy pants. <laughs> People are going to start noticing I wear the same ones week after week. All right. And I, I was, I, I'm stubborn in this regard because I, I refuse to, to spend money on buying like bigger clothes because then like that's that's surrendering. That's <laughs> accepting defeat. So I said, I remember I said, you know what? I'm going to go to church today. I'm going to wear this tight shirt. But my new life starts tomorrow. And I reached out. I reached out to an online fitness coach and I told him, bro, I need you to create a meal plan for me. I said, I want to know exactly what I'm eating. I don't want you to, I, I don't want it to say something healthy. No, no, no. I want you to tell me exactly what I'm eating. I want to know exactly what time I need to go to the gym. I need to know exactly what, work, what, uh, what workouts I'm doing because I don't want to give my heart any room to decide anything. I want my mind, I, I, want, I want to be able to read something and be like, okay, I can do that. And in that year, I lost 45 pounds. <laughs> Amen. And, and I need to go back because I'm, I'm, I'm on the up, uphill again. But... <laughs> But when you don't have, when you don't give your mind control, I'm going to say that I, I, I want you to lean into this. Right? When you don't give your mind control, the heart is going to make the decisions. And the heart makes some really dumb decisions. 
Because the heart just thinks about itself. And, and maybe there are areas in your life where you're still letting your heart make the decisions. I don't know what, that, I don't know what areas of, of life I'm, I'm talking to, but you know there are some areas in your life. You haven't, you haven't been transformed in your mind in certain areas. Transformation is a lifelong process. It doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. Every area of your life isn't always going to be transformed right away. So you can, you, can be, you can come to Jesus and still struggle in some areas. Because transformation is still happening. And so maybe you no longer let the heart make decisions when it comes to sin. But you let your heart make decisions when it comes to your finances. And you're not operating under the spirit of wisdom when it comes to your finances. Maybe your marriage has been transformed into a godly marriage because you've transformed the way that you think about marriage. But you still have frenemies. You still have people in your life that you can't get along with. You still have people in your life that you don't even want to talk to, that you don't like, that you've written off in your life because you, your, your mind hasn't been transformed in the way that you think about your other relationships. See, a lot of times, a lot of times your mind knows what it needs to do. But you don't do it because you haven't given your mind authority. Your heart is still calling the shots. And, and Paul recognizes this when he says, what I want to do, I do not do. I do what I hate. Why would you do what you hate? Because your heart loves it. Even though your mind is telling you this is wrong, you haven't given your mind authority over the heart yet. But a transformed mind, a mind like Christ, as Paul calls it, is, dis is disciplined in righteousness. It means knowing what is right and doing what is right because it has the power over the heart. And so I want to challenge you this morning to stop giving certain aspects of your life to your heart and give them over to a transformed Christ-like mind. Which leads me back to Judas. Judas is an example of a man whose heart remained corrupt because his mind had not yet been transformed. I know when we talk about Judas, you know, we're talking about an extremely evil man. I'm not comparing Judas to anybody in here. But he went through the same process that we all go through when we, when we lead a life with the heart and not the mind. The heart of Judas was still calling the shots. And it's because the mind of Judas, it's because his mind did not reflect the mind of Christ. There was, there was no check on the heart. That's what a righteous mind does. It checks your heart. You've heard that before, right? Check your heart. Check your heart. You can't check your heart with a corrupt mind because a corrupt mind is just going to fuel a corrupt heart. So a righteous mind has to check the heart. There was nothing to check the heart of Judas because his mind was corrupt. Judas, his weakness was his greed. We all have our weaknesses. We all have our struggles. His, his was greed. The Bible says that Judas would steal from the money bags carried by the apostles. That was, that, was, that was ministry funds. He was, he was dipping into it. He was so greedy that he went in secret to the chief priest and he said, what will you give me? I'm, I'm just curious. What will you give me if I surrender him to you? I'm not saying I'm going to do it, but what will you give me? He allowed himself to be tempted. It was greed that consumed Judas. Judas was... Judas was a follower of Jesus, most likely for the same reason that the other disciples first followed Jesus. He thought that, that if Jesus was the Messiah, 
he was going to set up his earthly kingdom and Judas was going to get a high ranking position in his kingdom. That's that's realistically that is why the apostles followed him in the first place. Because they wanted to be a part of the earthly kingdom. It wasn't until later that they became that, that they uh, began to know Jesus, not as just uh, the Messiah, but as the son of God. Right. G- Peter didn't always know that he was the son of God. Until he saw a miracle and he says, surely, surely this is the son of God. Surely this is Lord. They had a they had a, a mental transformation that Judas did not have. And so this is why uh, Matthew records any time the disciples uh, refer to Jesus, they refer to him as Lord. Every time Judas refers to Jesus, he refers to him as rabbi. Because he's, he doesn't want to place himself under the submission of Jesus. So he says, rabbi. The mind of Judas was never transformed. And so the question that many of us wonder about Judas is how can someone be so close to Jesus physically, but so far away relationally? Judas heard the sermons. He, he witnessed the miracles. He, he partook in the Lord's work, but his mind never changed. Again, in the same way, we can go to church, you can be moved by the music, and you can hear the teaching and, and, and the messages, and you can be influenced by what God is doing. You can serve in the church. You can hold a position in the church. You can sit down at the same table as your other believing friends week after week, day after day, and have everyone fooled. But your mind has not changed. And that is, I want to say, one of the greatest fears of a pastor to come up and preach messages that fall on deaf ears. Preach messages that people listen to and say, man, that sounds good. And they walk out exactly the same. Earlier I said that the mind is the most powerful force that we possess as humans. I think one of the reasons for that is because we can hide things in our mind from people. Let's get real. Hold on. Hold on. We, can, we, can, we can hide things in our mind that no one needs to know about. In our mind, we can, we can convince people that we like them just by giving them a hug, asking how their day was, giving them a smile. But in our mind, we're tearing them down. In our mind, we can... We can entertain scenarios that no one else needs to know about. In our mind, we can think all the things that you're not supposed to say. You can do all the things in your mind that you know you're not supposed to do in public. In our mind, we plot out the evil intentions of the heart. An evil mind is so dangerous because you can have everyone fooled. Judas had everyone fooled that he was a decent guy. The Bible says no one knew who Jesus was talking about when he was talking about his his betrayer. No one said, oh, it's probably Judas. He, He hid it so well. They'll never know that I'm in it for the greed. She'll never know how much I despise her, even though I'm smiling and waving, smiling and waving. They'll never know what I struggle with if I just keep on posting scriptures on social media. They'll they'll never see my insecurity if I have thousands of Facebook friends. They'll never know that I'm not okay if I just say I'm fine. They'll never know what's going on inside my mind because it's the only place that no one can see. 
It's the only place I can truly be who I am and not be judged. That is the power of the mind. And it is so powerful because it either fuels an evil heart or it corrects it. And so many of us are going around with a mind fueling the evil that is in our heart, thinking that no one else knows about it. And can I tell you this morning, and this might bring conviction, I might not know it, but Jesus knows it. Jesus, Jesus knows what's in your heart and what's in your mind. He knows what you are thinking this very second. Jesus, Jesus knew the intentions of Judas. Judas knew that Jesus knew. So at the beginning of chapter 13, this is beautiful to me. It records Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And the text says that the devil had already put into the heart of Judas to betray him. So he was being tempted by it. But Jesus washes his feet anyways. Imagine that. Jesus knows my betrayer is in the room. The same feet that are going to walk away from me right now and take me to the chief priest, I'm going to wash. Why does Jesus do that? Jesus presents Judas with one more opportunity. One more opportunity to change his mind by transforming his mind. As Jesus is humbling himself, he's washing the feet of this man who was going to betray him. Right then and there, Judas could have repented. I don't, I don't know what kind of stone cold person you've got to be to feel nothing in that moment. Knowing that I am about to betray you, but you are going to humble yourself. Even after you humbled yourself by becoming man, and you're going to wash my lowly feet. You are going to put yourself beneath me in this moment. Even though you know what I'm about to do. And right then and there, Judas had one more opportunity to recognize Jesus as Lord. He could have put away his pride. He could have put away his greed. He was given one more opportunity, but he already made up his mind. And then it's after that point, after he was presented with that opportunity to repent, that's when verse 20 says, then Satan entered Judas. That's when his heart was hardened. And Jesus at that point, he's done washing the feet. He says, go and do what you're going to do. He was given over to a debased mind. So you, you see how powerful this is? You, you see why I said a transformation of mind needs to happen ASAP? Because when we continue going with a heart unchecked, how far away are we going to get from, from the purpose of God? How far away are we going to get from what God wants for our lives? And I've often wondered how people can go through the same process of discipleship without ever really growing spiritually. Isn't, isn't discipleship, isn't, Pastor Brandon, isn't teaching, I mean, we, we, we teach, we, we preach, isn't that what's supposed to build mature Christians? Aren't we to edify each other, to bring growth to our spirits? The answer is yes. But you can't mature unless the mind is willing to be transformed. Knowing the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. I've, I've studied many religions. I took, I took a class on, on Hinduism to understand Hinduism. 
I've read through different religious sacred texts, and I can tell you that I have not adopted a mindset of a Hindu. Even though I, I know it, I know what it says. You can know the Bible. You can know what it says and disregard it in your mind. You can know what it says about marriage. You can know what it says about relationships. You can know what it says about leadership. You can know what it says about servanthood. You can know what it says about giving. You you can know what it says about treating others, but you will never grow unless the mind is transformed. And so this morning, church, I want to ask... I want to ask you, I want to challenge you to remain, number one, remain teachable. Remain teachable. Leaders in the church, pastors in the church, remain teachable. I need to remain teachable. I can can learn from any of you, and I do. Remain teachable. When our pride hinders, when when our pride enters, it hinders our growth. When we refuse to exercise Self-control, discipline. You can go through the process and remain unchanged. I don't know why this message was, was given to me this morning. I have no idea. It was, it's kind of different. <clears throat> but I think, I think someone, I think someone in the room this morning is, is, is fueling their heart. The evil heart. And it, again, it, I'm, not, I'm not comparing you to Judas. I'm not saying that you're, you're a betrayer of Jesus. But maybe you're just, you're just tired. Maybe you're frustrated this morning. Maybe you're, you're frustrated. I don't know. Maybe you're frustrated with the church. Maybe someone hurts you. And you're frustrated. How can Christians be this way? And your mind is starting to tell your heart, yeah, Christians are the worst. Yeah, you don't need church. Yeah, throw in the towel. Give up. Yeah, you're tired. Yeah, no one appreciates you. Give up. There is so much power in the mind. I've seen people convince themselves that they're not, they're not even good enough to be alive. Imagine the thoughts that, they, that, that go through their mind at night. Why am I here? Nobody, nobody cares about me. Praise God. The mind needs to be transformed this morning. And I, I, can, I can list all these types of examples and I can say maybe it's this, maybe it's that, but, but you know. You know where the mind needs to be transformed to reflect the mind of Christ. And so this morning, I'm going to ask that we stand. I'm going to have the worship team to come up. Right there where you're at, just, be, just, just close your eyes. And I want you just to begin to talk to God. This is, this is a personal moment right now. This is just you and God. God, you know the desires of my heart. You know the thoughts that I keep locked in my mind that no one else knows about, that no one else can see. And I pray right now, Father God, that a transformation take place, Father God. My God, I want to reflect the mind of Christ. 
I want to see, I want to receive wisdom, my God. I, I don't, I don't want to fuel the, the evil that's in my heart. My God, I want to correct it. Transform my mind this morning, my God. Transform my mind this morning. Can I tell you something this morning that a transformation only take, it takes willingness and it takes work and it takes, it takes discipline and it takes humility. Because just saying, God, transform my mind, he's not going to just do it right away. You have to position yourself. You have to change habits. You have to change what you've been listening to. You have to change who you've been listening to, what you've been reading. You have to change. You have, that's how transformation occurs. But I want to ask, Lord, this morning, for anyone who is willing to take that step, Father God, that you begin that process of transformation. Transform us, Father God. Transform our minds. Yes, we worship you, Father God. We worship you, Father God. Hallelujah. If there's anybody in the room this morning, this is something that we do every week, and I'm going to ask every, every eye remain closed, every head bowed this morning. If you want to, if you want to accept into your life, Jesus, maybe you know about Jesus, maybe you grew up in the church, but you have not yet made him your Lord. Maybe to you, he's just a rabbi, he's just a teacher, but you have not placed yourself under submission and you say, God, I, I want to I transform my life this morning. I want to walk out of here differently, my God. I want to accept you, and I want to possess the mind of Christ. If that's you this morning, you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand right there where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. If that's you, you want to accept Jesus. Raise your hand. Praise God, I see you, brother. Thank you. See you, sister. Thank you. Now I'm going to ask that you repeat this prayer, and I'm going to ask the church to repeat it with me. And if you raise your hand, I want you to say this with a sincere heart. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That is all you need for salvation. But we're also going to ask that the Holy Spirit take over your life to begin the process of transformation. So church, help me, help me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son Jesus who has looked on me as a sinner but decided to die for me because you love me. This morning I repent of my sin. I leave it behind me. I pick up my cross and I follow you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, enter me. Change me. Transform me. That I may be a pleasing sacrifice to you. In Jesus' name. And the church, come on, let's rejoice this morning.
Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.